You're listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. I'd like to propose a question. Do you think that where you grew up influenced your development as an athlete? And it doesn't matter what level of athlete you rose to become. Do you think you were influenced by where you grew up? I guess that's pretty wide open for interpretation. So let me narrow down the field a bit. I'm talking more big picture here, like your community or your town. What do you think? What if I told you that more elite athletes come from a certain type of place than others? What would you think of that? And if you think that might be true, what kind of place do you think produces more elite athletes than others? Could it be based on socioeconomic development? Or is it city living versus country living? Small town versus huge metropolis or your proximity to facilities? All of the above, maybe? I suppose it could be anything. Think about that for a couple of minutes. We'll get back to it right away. We know that your environment has significant influence on how you develop, and not just in sport, and not just your environment. It's also the people in that environment. Your parents, for example, may be the most significant influence on who and what you become. They influence how you think, what you do, what you're interested in, and heck, even your body composition is greatly influenced by your parents. And I'm not talking genetics here. I'm talking household habits like diet and exercise. If your parents eat crappy, well, you probably eat crappy. If your parents don't exercise, you probably won't either. And this works the other way as well. For instance, look at how many elite and professional athletes had a parent or close relative who were also professional or elite athletes. According to a Wall Street Journal analysis of biographical data on every NBA player, 48.8% are related to current or former elite athletes. And an elite athlete is defined as anyone who played a sport professionally in the NCAA or at a national team level. 48.8%. It's a big number that can't be ignored. And of course, it's not just the NBA. Other leagues feature notable dynasties. In the NHL, you have to mention the Sutter brothers, Brent, Brian, Daryl, Dwayne, Rich, and Ron, six brothers who all played in the NHL. Then you have the Manning brothers of the NFL, and in Major League Baseball, you have the Griffies and the current Blue Jays, for crying out loud. Bo Bichette, Guerrero Jr., Biggio, and Varsho all had fathers who played Major League Baseball. And if you remember Jason Wirth, a player I worked with in my Blue Jay days, his mother was an Olympic track star. All in all, about 17.5% of NFL players and 14.5% of MLB players are related to other elite athletes based on a similar study. And you can imagine why. These kids grow up around elite sport. It's just a way of life. It's not a big deal at all. In fact, I remember Cal Quantrell when he was just a little duffer coming down to the ballpark with his dad, Paul Quantrell, former major league pitcher. When we were playing at home, Paul would bring Cal down to the ballpark early all of the time, and he'd hit these big plastic balls over the outfield fence, play catch, run the bases. Listen, he grew up around the game. He grew up watching his dad and the guys playing ball. He went on to Stanford and is now following in his father's footsteps as a major league pitcher. Very, very cool stuff. 
Now, it doesn't always work out that way. There are countless variables involved, but you also can't ignore the connection between what your parents do and how you turn out. It's part of your environment, a major part of your environment. Now, getting back to our question, do you think that where you grew up influenced your development as an athlete? What do you say? I'm guessing that most of you said yes, and you'd be right on so many levels. Let's have a closer look. Where you grow up has a profound influence on how you develop in sport. And again, it's not just sport. Look what happens in Nashville. You get musicians. In Hollywood, you get actors, producers, and directors. If you grew up in Canada, you probably started skating before you could walk, and you probably played hockey. In Europe, it's soccer and rugby. In India, it's cricket and pretty well, well, nothing else. Cricket is huge there, by far the number one sport. Speed skating is huge in Holland. Football is massive in the USA. We could go on and on and on. I mean, if I grew up in Hawaii, I'd guarantee I'd surf and scuba dive. Not so much here in Northern Canada, however, where in the summer I mountain bike and water ski, and in the winter I play hockey, snow ski, and I even raced on the bobsled circuit for a while. So it's not just your parents, it's your friends, your coaches, and most certainly your environment, your community, and where that community is. Environment is a big piece of the talent development puzzle, and you have more control than you might realize if you know what to look for. Take, for example, a little rundown sagging net tennis program in Serbia. It's developed more top 20 tennis players than all of the U.S. put together. How does that happen? Or the recreation of Korea's Golf Academy, who now have developed more than 40% of the top female golfers in the world. Take a look at Kenya's Fila Running School, who continues to dominate the world in producing record-breaking elite distance runners. Why there? And what's so special about the European soccer club model? Some say it's a meat grinder, survival of the fittest, let the cream rise to the top type of a system. Is it good or is it not? One thing's for certain, soccer is a major sport there and they produce incredible players. And outside of sport, you can also find these little special pockets of uncanny talent development. When you look at business, what's so special about the famed Wharton School of Business? In the arts, you have the world-renowned Juilliard School of Performing Arts. And back to sport, even take a look at our international MLB academies. What those programs have done for baseball and the opportunities they've created for players in regions where baseball is barely a top 10 sport, it's almost unthinkable how powerful those programs are. So much fun. And that makes me think of a little town I know of in northern Canada. It has a population of about 5,000 people. And this town went on to become a regional high school volleyball powerhouse, destroying teams from larger cities and schools that have almost as many students as they have people in their town. What happened there? Why this little town? Well, let me tell you. It turns out that two new teachers arrived on the scene one year and they had a strong connection. They both graduated from education at the University of Alberta. They both played elite volleyball. He was a varsity and national team member. She played elite varsity volleyball. And they were engaged. They moved to that town together so they could teach. They got involved in the community, started a volleyball club, and voila. 
volleyball powerhouse in a small town in northern Canada. That's the secret behind these stories. There's the environment, there is the culture, and there's special people. Each one of those examples I gave earlier wasn't about fancy high-tech gimmicks and facilities. It was about the people driving the program and the culture they developed to help their athletes succeed at the highest level. Environment, environment, environment. There's the environment you can control, and then there's the environment you can't control. And if I told you that the size of the town you grew up in has a massive influence on your ability and your chances of making it to professional sport, what would you say? Well, let's have a look. You know, whenever we take on an athlete, we go through a very interesting exercise as we start building their program and planning out the athlete's future in sport. One of the things we do is we look at what they can control in their sport and in their life and what they can't control. Having the athlete understanding that can really, really help them focus on what they need to do to succeed. Too many times we get caught up focusing on things we can't control. Well, there are those uncontrollables everywhere we look. We just have to identify them, realize what they are, and realize their impact. And it's no different when we talk about environment. Again, there are those things we can control, and there are those things we can't control. And one of the things we don't control at all is where we were born. This idea that where we grew up influences how we develop has yet another dynamic, and it's called the birthplace effect. The birthplace effect was discovered and coined and researched by Dr. Jean Cote, who's been on our show a number of times. He and his colleagues discovered the phenomenon as they were poring over statistics of over 2,000 U.S. and Canadian athletes in the NHL, the NBA, the PGA, and Major League Baseball. And the researchers noticed something interesting, a relation between the size of the city kids grew up in and their likelihood of making it on the professional sports scene. It turns out the size of your town can have a massive influence on your future in sport, and it's called the birthplace effect. When Dr. Cote and his colleagues realized what they'd stumbled onto, they did a deep dive into the research. The primary purpose of the studies were to examine whether the size of the city in which an athlete is born influences the likelihood of playing professional sport, and wow, they were on to something. In the groundbreaking study, which was conducted in the U.S., Canada, and Australia, the researchers reported that children growing up in cities of more than 1 million inhabitants had a significantly lower chance of making it to the top of sport than children growing up in cities of less than 500,000, and in particular, in towns between 5,000 and 50,000 in size. This was a massive discovery in sport research, and when we first reported it, just as it broke way back in the day, I swear people put their houses up for sale and started moving to the smaller towns. And it kind of makes sense. One of the things that happen in the smaller towns is kids have more opportunity to participate in sport. They have more opportunity to make the high school teams, and not only that, most smaller towns don't have enough kids to play all these different sports at once. So the kids now have the opportunity to play multiple sports. Not only that, 
the kids in the smaller towns have more access to facilities, which makes a ton of sense if you think about it. In the big city with a high school that has 4,000 students, what are the chances of you making a varsity team? Probably not that good. What are the chances of you walking into your local arena for a skate pretty much any time? Where I grew up in a small farming community, we would go down to the local caretaker's house, ask for the keys, and we would go open up the arena if we wanted to skate. That was one of the benefits of being in a small community, and that's exactly what Dr. Cote and his researchers found in their study. A disproportionately larger number of athletes come from smaller towns. And there has been plenty more research on it since that initial discovery. In fact, there's some very interesting numbers looking at the NHL, the NBA, the PGA, and Major League Baseball. In the NHL, only 0.7% of the players come from cities larger than 5 million. In the NBA, it's 3.9%. In the PGA, only 0.5% of players come from cities larger than 5 million. And for Major League Baseball, there's only 1.8% that come from cities larger than 5 million. If we go down to the bottom of the scale, in towns less than 50,000, right down to 5,000, listen to this. In the NHL, 39.1% of all the players come from towns smaller than 50,000. In the NBA, it's 28.2%. And the biggest influence was found in golf, which kind of makes sense. Little community golf course, kids go play all the time. It's a lot cheaper. 45.7% of professional golfers came from towns smaller than 50,000 people. Major League Baseball sees 37.7% of their players coming from small towns. So where you grow up does have a massive influence on your potential of reaching the pros. And this conversation gets even more interesting because it's not just the size of the town you grew up in. It's where that town is located. And this is a very important part of today's discussion. And I'd like to start it off with a story. years back, I was working at our Major League Baseball Academy in Curacao, and as my tour was wrapping up, we were planning a big coaching seminar open to all of the coaches on the island. Curacao is a very cool microcosm of baseball, with a very rich baseball history and some great, great players. Andrew Jones, Kenley Jansen, Sharian Martis, and Hensley Mullins, to name a few. And actually, Hensley was on the island at this time, and he would regularly stop by the academy to talk to the players and the coaches. It's such a great community. I started the session off talking about long-term athlete development and specialization versus sampling other sports. And this is where the evening conversation got very interesting for me. We were discussing the pros and cons of specialization and year-round sport. And this is where one of the long-standing national team coaches and baseball directors on the island stood up and said, Jeff, listen, our U10, U12, U13, U14 teams all have great success here on the island and when we travel internationally. We rarely, rarely lose a game. But once we get over that U15, our older teams, U16, U17, U18, we have very, very little success. And then he said, based on what we're talking about here, it would seem we need to rethink our approach to the game, especially with our older players. And he was so, so right. 
You see, in Curacao, like so many other warm climate nations, they can play the game year-round, and they do. And while they're playing and playing year-round in their warm-weather climates, the northern athletes have to go indoors, and they're playing other sports, and they're training and getting stronger and more mobile, training as athletes, not so much as baseball players. The northern athletes are what I call weather protected. And not only do they tend to spend more time playing other sports than players from the warm weather climates, they also have fewer injuries. It's well documented, this idea of Northern athletes being weather protected. If you dig into the research, you can find some very interesting research on the subject. Research articles with titles like Warm Weather Baseball Pitchers at Greater Risk of Shoulder Injuries and Tommy John Studies Find. Or is Tommy John's surgery performed more frequently in Major League Baseball Pitchers from warm weather areas? The conclusion of this study stated that MLB pitchers who played high school baseball in warm weather climates have undergone medial UCL reconstruction more frequently and earlier in their MLB careers than pitchers who played in cold weather areas. Or how about this one that looked at showcases? Ulnar collateral ligament tear in elite baseball pitchers. Are high school showcase exposures associated with injury? The conclusion, well, they found that the higher the showcase volume for elite pitchers in high school, the lower the likelihood of achieving a Major League Baseball level. And not only that, they also found that pitchers who took longer to reach 90 miles an hour had a higher likelihood of actually pitching at the Major League level. Basically what they're saying there is the longer it takes you to throw 90 miles an hour, the more likely it will be you pitch at the Major League level. Think about that one for a minute. With all of these year-round programs and these velocity programs for baseball players, and not only that, but the emphasis on velocity and early velocity from the major league scouting world and the college recruiting world, maybe everybody needs to rethink our approach to the game. Something I've been battling for for over a decade. I tell every team and organization I talk to that if that velocity is in there, we'll get it. But let's get it at the right time for that particular player. Oh, the potential that we're just throwing away when we push velocity and early velocity when these athletes just aren't ready for it. It drives me crazy. And so, yes, all of this is baseball-relevant research, but the implications are much broader. Any sport is open to the dangers of year-round competition. Northern athletes have a secret weapon, the seasons. The winter sports have summer. The summer sports have winter. And in between, you have fall and spring. It makes a big difference in terms of athlete and player development compared to the warm-weather athletes who compete year-round. And this also works the other way as well, when winter athletes don't take the summers off. And hockey might be the biggest culprit here. In fact, in the early 90s, Russian sports scientists took three teams of atom hockey players and divided them into three categories. Team one just played games, games and games and games year round. Team number two played games and practice and took the summer off. They maybe had a camp or two, but no structured competition in the off season. 
Then, Team 3 played a regular competitive season. They practiced regularly inside of that schedule. They did dry land training, and they also took the summers off. This was a longitudinal study, and they followed these players for three or four years. After year one, Team 1 dominated, the team that was competing year-round. After year two, actually, the playing field was fairly even. No one seemed to have a distinct advantage. However, after year three... Team number three, who not only played, but they practiced regularly, did dry land training, and took the summers off, they destroyed the other teams and continued to do so, and it wasn't even close. If I look back on my career in athlete and player development, strength and conditioning, and sports science, I think one of my greatest accomplishments was getting our MLB Warm Weather Academies to take significant time away from the game and to focus more on preparing the players for the game rather than just playing the game itself. We had huge pushback from the parents and some of the coaches. So I set up meetings. We had everybody sit down and I explained very, very clearly the risks, the dangers, and the numbers of playing sport year-round without taking time away to play other sports or to prepare our players for the game. Once I explained it, once I answered their question, well, how can you say no? And the results have been astounding in both injury prevention and the level of performance we're seeing in those warm weather academies. In fact, it's so impressive that other teams around the academies and other organizations in youth baseball are now starting to take larger breaks away from the game at certain periods of the year. Such a huge victory for the athletes and players and the game itself. Cold weather athletes have an advantage and it's where they live. They are literally weather protected. But this is changing. With the business of youth sports sweeping the globe with indoor facilities, year-round programs, academies, showcases, they're all stripping away one of the greatest advantages Northern athletes could ever have, the off-season. So athletes, parents, and coaches, beware. Understand the importance of your rest, recovery, and time off. It's our number one performance priority for good reason. And whatever you do, embrace your off-season. Up to 12 to 15 years of age playing a single sport more than eight months a year is a dangerous, dangerous game to play. Understanding the drawbacks and benefits of where you live is all part of sport when you think like an athlete. I'm Jeff Kershell. Crush Performance is recorded right here in the Crush Studios. Our distribution partner is Radio Influence Digital Media. Website and education material is produced and directed by Debbie Kershell, Miss Crusher. The music, graphics, and video design by Noah Alexen at Nolexen Visual Sound. And this is season 18 of Crush Performance. Get the archives and subscribe to the show. Go to jeffkershell.com and follow me on social media. Search out Crush Performance. Have a great week. Enjoy that weather. And we'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance. <laughs>